0: Welcome to season three of the Jesus Said Love podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mills.
1: And I'm your other host, Brett Mills.
0: We are founders, we're creatives.
1: We're entrepreneurs and we're activists.
0: We're musicians and we love Jesus.
1: We've learned a lot serving the Jesus Said Love community. And this is the space we'll get to talk about.
0: Ever learning, ever growing, ever loving. So come with us and explore how we can awaken hope and empower change together to create more space for love. Okay, we are so excited to host Rebecca Bender on our mashup like Insta Live Squadcast Podcast thing that is gonna be happening. I mean we're and- really pushing
1: the 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 I mean we are on progressive front end technology, <laughs> killing it, Instagram yeah, and it, podcasting it, FaceTiming it face casting all over the place
2: casting everywhere squad We're cast podcasts,
1: face cast casters.
0: Jesus cast it's so it's so historic and it is a historic day we may have zero viewers right in this moment right now you know I mean this is how my brain works it's like lightning when I end up hearing of a cause or an issue that feels so pressing it feels so urgent it feels like why aren't we, why are we here? Like, how is this even happening? And I just want to go. It's like all engines start firing and I'm like, who's talking about this? Who knows about this? How do we get the word out? And how do we rally faith communities to step in and intersect in this space? And yes. Rebecca, that's why you're here. And I'm so excited to finally kind of meet you in this virtual way.
2: <laughs> yeah, we've been virtual friends for a while. And now that we're in, in the same proximity, we'll have to get together in person. So okay, Rebecca, so I, yeah. have,
1: I have to ask this. I have to. I got okay. so everybody knows it's Rebecca Bender. We're everybody's pumped. CEO
0: Rebecca Bender Initiative you Elevate Academy in, in, in Pursuit second. of Love. Here's my question. You guys know her. This uh-huh. is the
1: best question you're going to get all day. Tell me. Is it Oregonian? 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 <laughs> or- A person from Oregon is
2: an Oregonian. Yes, that was the first one I came up with. Yes, it was. You nailed it. A Oregonian. lot of people say "or Oregon, 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 and um it's gun. Just picture you and we don't know how to spell. No, we do. I'm kidding. My Oregon people. I'm <laughs> Oregon. not I've not betrayed you by moving to Texas. So you so, are
1: originally from Oregon,
2: you born are and now raised in
1: Texas. God bless the greatest state in the nation.
0: Fourth
2: generation
0: Oregonian, born and wow. raised. Why Texas? And you moved uh, just a few weeks ago. I mean, I followed your trek across the great nation and here you are.
2: I've been here 20 days. Yeah. Uh, You know, we've been praying um, for a place that God would bring us that in this next season of our lives for about two years. I really didn't know where he would bring us. I thought for sure it'd be California, if I'm honest. Um, but then COVID, I'm kind of like, oh, I think all Californians are really trying to get out. <laughs> Maybe that was a good move. Um, and doors just started opening here. I've got a lot of friends here, um, team members here, board members here. Mm. And when the doors started opening, my husband and I were just like, we never thought Dallas, but why not? Let's try it. and. If
0: it doesn't wow. work, we'll always go home. It's no big deal. Well, it's really profound to me that you are in Texas and I I can see why God led you here. I mean, the the rates of what we're looking at in terms of sex exploitation and trafficking is 100%. Why you're calling and the work that is happening and initiatives that are happening, but man, Texas needs you. Oh, we're really we're really glad um, to, to host you for however long we get to host you. However in your... long
2: God has us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm excited. I mean, I I've been able to meet so many nonprofits that are doing great work and just figuring out ways to, to continue to foster collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, been working, meeting with a lot of the uh, anti-trafficking detectives and a couple district attorney's offices and just trying to really identify ways to, uh, to bring and foster collaboration. I mean, one thing I was telling someone the other day, I said, you know, traffickers don't care about our jurisdictional lines. They don't. They're going to bring a girl from here to here to here. And we've got to figure out ways departmentally and and organizationally that we can collaborate and co-case manage. And um, we have to. We have to foster community within this space. Mm.
1: Well, it's good to hear you use that word collaborate because that's a favorite word of ours. And, you know, over the years, we've been at this a little bit. And over the years we tend to have run into people that like this is my territory this is my th- no that's your lane you go over there and yeah. we're like but it takes a village to address this issue and to serve these people like you they can't they're just not yours right if if we're about going to be about the kingdom of god then let's be about the kingdom we're all in the kingdom together let's serve these people well and it's going to take all of us versus yeah so it's great to hear you say that cuz mm-hmm. I man,
2: mean and- The way, and you, I experienced that everywhere too. Like everyone gets a little bit territorial. And and, I mean, if you think about it as a company, you're trying to raise money. And if someone is in your area doing the same thing you're doing, I mean, it makes sense that instinctually you would feel Mm -hmm. like that. But I think the way to combat that is to take your time then to learn what people are doing and find out where there's a gap in service and then form your organization to meet their need. And then you're in partnership together. You're not in the trenches trying to take their only cracker. You're yeah. like, what's your biggest problem? And you let that safe home tell you, and then you do that. Yeah, It's just, it's that, to me, it's just that simple. <laughs> yeah. You're our new
1: best friend.
2: <laughs> I'm like, we actually have to, you know, traverse the landscape before you jump in. That's what people don't want to do generally, because it takes a lot of time to, yeah, you know, figure out what's happening and then how to serve as opposed to like, jump in, I'm going to do this one thing and I cannot change. Right. Um, That doesn't tend to bode well.
0: Well, and I think the truth of the matter is, you know, we didn't set out to be anti-trafficking. I'm not a trafficking survivor. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. When I heard women, um, yeah, I have a call to ministry. That was my original. We were worship leaders. We're singers. We're traveling all over the country, singing and leading worship. And in 2004, after I'd had my first kid, I heard for the first time women who were leaving a life of exploitation and every single one of their testimonies had a threat of childhood sexual abuse. Mm. And I was like, I am her and she is me. And here we are. How in the world do I not know her? Mm, How have I not seen her? And the truth is our church in evangelical land didn't have a space for her. We didn't have, especially in the South, there was not a space for women bearing sexual shame, Mm -hmm. stigmas, any of that. So, you know, we as as an organization didn't set out to become anti-trafficking, anti-exploitation entrepreneurs or social justice warriors or whatever. Mm -hmm. We had a heart to worship. We had a heart to love. And through that, it began to define and we've had to change. I think we also hold our vision really loosely.
2: Yeah. Have
0: to. We hold it loosely and we just say, Okay, where do we move now? Okay, great. Is that being met? Where can I morph? Where can I move to meet the most needs? Yep.
2: And that's it. It's just can... that simple. Yeah. Open hand. There you go. I know. I what know. am I doing? I mean, that's why we named Rebecca Bender Initiative what we did, because we mm. didn't want to get trapped into a like global rescue it meant that I could only yeah. do you know, and with initiative it's like, Well, what are we doing this year, God? And how yeah. can we create a program that meets a need? especially as a thought leader, which again, I also did not set out to right. do anything. I just wanted to tell my story in hopes it would help people. When I first started, I ran an ultrasound center. I wow. wasn't like, I wasn't even in the movement. I and before it. that I worked at a motorcycle shop. Like I yes. had no yes. plan that this would be, I just was like, I just want to tell my story. I don't know where God will take yeah. it. But as it grew, I thought I'm too project centered to have one thing. So I wanted <laughs> <laughs> to be able to move and shape, and now that we are considered thought leaders in the space, we've got to think of new ways to stay mm-hmm. um, helpful, and yes. that means you have to keep an open an open hand for your for your vision for sure. Okay, yes.
1: so if you could tell your story in five words, mm. what would those five words be?
2: Oh, gosh. Five words. Five yep. words? Or Tomorrow. do I get like 30 seconds? Yeah, sure. You can think about seconds. it
1: for just a second, but you get a sum total of words. five words. <laughs> I
2: well, I mean, the tagline of the book is Trafficked to Triumphant. Ooh, mm-hmm. I did it in three. There you
0: go. Beat you at your own game. <laughs> you do, you need more, ha- do you need a haiku, Brett? What am I doing here? <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Traffic to Triumph. I love it. And um, so... The reason that you are a thought leader, Rebecca, is not only because you are a trafficking survivor, but because you are truly an expert, not just because of your story, but because of your skills. Yeah, thanks you, for saying that. You are someone who has trained thousands of law enforcement. You have learned and you have crafted Um, tools, I mean, true tools for other organizations, for law enforcement, for hospitals, for teachers, for anyone who wants to learn what is their space in this line of justice work regarding you've crafted those tools for them. So because of that, because of your expertise, because of your story, yes. And your expertise, we wanted to bring you on to talk about this case that just grabbed my soul because it's here and it's right up the road for me. Well, it's where you are now, you know, it's in my state. And, um, And I'm really, really passionate just about these systemic issues where many systems start to fail our kids Mm -hmm. and then they end up becoming vulnerable to something so heinous. And now for Zephy to be tried for capital murder as a trafficking victim just blew me away. Um, And we've seen this case in other like Centoya Browns. Um, We watched that documentary. And again, we were like, Mm -hmm. why aren't they talking about her trafficking? Yeah. Where, Sarah, where's the information there? Yeah, Sarah Cruzan, Centolia Brown, there's been several
2: survivors that have unfortunately did over a decade for, for murder um, when it oftentimes is defense or something the trafficker themselves is doing. And unfortunately, Zephy is one example right now of systems that we see every day that might not make the news and victims that we work with every day who have criminal records. I have a, a good friend of mine who she has uh, armed robbery and for the same exact situation that happened with Zeffie, the trap the actually the buyer was violently assaulting her and her, her trafficker could hear the assault and like broke into the hotel room, punched the guy and knocked him just cold out. He's like yelling at her, grab your things. We're out of here. Well, when the guy came to, he called nine one one and reported himself as being robbed, which wasn't true. They didn't Not take really. his wallet. His wallet still had money in it. He got, he violently was assaulting someone that he had purchased, you know, a service from, for lack of better words. And she ended up in prison, not the trafficker, mm-hmm. because it wasn't the trafficker, right, that supposedly had robbed. She did. And she has and a And not the buyer either. And not the buyer of sexual assault or rape. Nope. This trafficked victim. Gets an armed robbery on her record. You know how hard it is
0: to start your life over. Yeah. We have armed robbery. Yes, we do because I mean, we have a social enterprise that we know <laughs> we go. do. We know women actually. Who can't that's get the job. very reason that we started this, mind you. <laughs> Rebecca, thanks for joining. No, I'm kidding. No, but yes, I, it's it's exhausting to go up against that, and um, and and no wonder women want to give up. No and with so
2: many states that don't have duress as a defense, I think recently I was asking actually Vanessa Boucher from Severna Wellness, and she said that um, there's 20 states in the U.S. that still do not have uh, a f- human trafficking or duress as an affirmative um, defense. Mm. And so 30 states in the U.S. that do and you know, 21, however many we have. Mm-hmm. I clearly don't know my geography. If we have 50 <laughs> or 51 states, I have no clue. Do we count DR? I don't know how it works. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, when you think about that, I know those are policies that we want to look toward in the future as we continue to, to fight the Zep- Zephaniah Trevino case, but also then look at what's Texas doing with, an, with a duress defense, especially for traffic victims.
0: Mm, okay. For,
1: for those listening, can you give a a good definition of what duress would mean in a, in a legal sense?
2: I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer, so I probably would have a lawyer list. I wish Michelle was here, right? I know. Oh, sorry.
0: We forgot to say that too, that she, Michelle has COVID. Did I say that already? She's getting tested um, and just feel having symptoms. So she has no voice, but we are going to do a podcast um, with her to talk about just the legal ins and outs of this as well. Um, So duress would, yeah. I
2: Googled it for you, Brett, yeah. just okay. so that we, okay. we, you know, Google's the best teacher. <laughs> right. Um, but it says threats, violence, constraints, or other action brought to bear on someone to do something against their will or better judgment. Yeah. So, you know, in the state of Texas, for example, it doesn't matter if this man um, in this specific case, we'll say with Zephaniah Trevino, it doesn't matter if he beat her with a pistol whipped her on multiple occasions. It doesn't matter if he held a gun to her head. It doesn't matter if he threatened her, if he wasn't doing it in the moment in which the crime occurred, the six times prior, even that day, won't matter in the court of law. So that's a concern for anyone who has had um, threats, And constraints and harm and just the mental state you're in when you've lived in that kind of trauma for a prolonged state of time you're not thinking clearly I mean I tell people all the time as a traffic victim myself I can remember starting to feel like I was like my sanity was slipping away from Mm me like you drive by a driveway and forget to turn in Mm -hmm. anyone who has a newborn baby knows what it's like when you've had sleep deprivation Mm -hmm. you don't always think clearly you feel like you're living in this fog um, or like a tornado, and you just need a minute to let the dust settle so you can, like, make a decision or make a plan, mm-hmm. but that never comes, and you live in this constant state of trauma and fear mm-hmm. and paranoia, and it's not easy to make sound decisions, and if you've lived for years in that kind of abuse that have cre- that's created that mental state, and then you can't use that as a as a right. defense as an affirmative defense for what he then threatened your family or your child or your livelihood if you don't comply yeah that's hard yeah. to not be able to have that on the table
0: right i want to walk through the some of the facts of what we know about this case right now so so zephaniah which what a beautiful name also grabbed me um just the prophetic nature of her name alone, but um, Zephaniah Trevino was 16 years old when she was arrested for armed armed burglary, right, or armed robbery and murder. Um, and Philip, just say the name, Brett. Baldenegro. 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 Philip Baldenegro admitted to then pulling the trigger later he admitted to pulling the trigger. So she first comes in as a juvie. She first comes in as a 16 year old girl and she spends how long to 12 months or something, 12, 13, 13 months in jail. Um, And then she is now released, but awaiting trial because D a John Crusoe wants Crusoe wants to, her as an adult for this crime, a crime that she did not commit, a crime that happened when she was 16. And can you set up for us some of the facts of like, what's happening in this case? Why did she shoot him? What are the facts that we absolutely know right now?
2: Well, she didn't shoot him. Philip Baldinegro shot him. There was a struggle. Gun went off. One person died. Um, there's been, everyone has, you know, Zeph- Zephaniah, Zephy did not, was not the one that shot him. She was in the room. Um, and I think what's, what's really important to know about it's, this is so, it's like, how do I, how am I, I gotta be so careful. <laughs> mm. So one of the things I think is really crucial is that when, when Zephaniah, was entered the juvenile justice system as a criminal. So generally how, how this works for most people on, that don't understand how some of these systems works for traffic victims is, so sometimes people are like, well, she's trafficked, why didn't she get services, blah, blah, blah. Here's how it works in most cities, and DFW is no, no exception, this is how it works in Dallas, is when someone enters a juvenile justice system um, or a criminal justice system as an adult, most of the time you're entering because of a crime, right? And that's how a lot of victims come into the system. They're not self-identifying as traffic victims. They didn't necessarily know that they're stealing food or clothes because Mm -hmm. they're traffickers refusing to feed them. And now they're picked up on theft or truancy, whatever, right? So there's all these reasons that victims come into the juvenile justice system, not self-identifying in the beginning, lots Mm -hmm. of reasons. And then when they're in the system, when they're in juvenile hall, or any kind of criminal justice system, they may come forward as a victim and it's what they call outcrying. So she so at some point the victim or in this in in these situations, the criminal, quote unquote, outcries of their victimization. Mm-hmm. And there's generally a coordinated response that happens through, um, through a, a contract mm-hmm. that a local service provider has with juvenile justice centers that responds to outcry within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Those are systems that are in most big cities everywhere. L.A. County has them. Dallas County has them. Mm -hmm. New York has them. So you Mm -hmm. have an outcry, 48-hour response contracted with a local nonprofit. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And so so Zephaniah outcries about her victimization. It does not, for some reason, get to the nonprofit within a certain number of time. Um, we don't know all the details there. I don't know all the details there. The mm-hmm. details mm-hmm. are very clear. They're just privileged at this point in Got the it. investigation. So those details are clear. We just don't have access as the public. Um, at some point, she is finally identified and systems are are put into place. But by then, you know, the motion to try her as an adult has already been filed by the district attorney's office because it was so delayed to get her into services as a trafficked victim hmm. and now at this point it's unfortunate that her the the onus, the onus is put on the victim to mm-hmm. prove her victimization as opposed to the district attorney's office calling for a trafficking investigation mm-hmm. bringing in a, a human trafficking detective reviewing forensic evaluation right you have to do a forensic electronic poll on everyone's cell phones you have to review text messages and photos and emails or, mm-hmm. or whatnot, that takes some time. Mm-hmm. And that has not happened by the DA's office, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I know the family and their attorney have moved forward. And my opinion would be is because a duress defense isn't going to be a defense. And so if, if anything, I think they're really trying to make the district attorney who has been known to partner on anti-trafficking efforts, have some real substantial evidence to show so that the DA themselves will withdraw the charges, minimally withdraw the motion to try her as an adult and keep her in in juvenile, which would allow her a little bit more treatment. Um, But but we would prefer for him to just withdraw charges after reviewing the evidence of trafficking. Right. I know that... That's why it's kind of been... You know, right. because it took a little bit to get her to the place where they could even get trafficking investigation having to be done by themselves. Like the law enforcement mm-hmm. wasn't brought in to do one. That, that's not mm-hmm. fast. That doesn't happen quickly. Investigations mm-hmm. take a while. They're not they're not right. easy. getting a subpoena to do a forensic poll as a as a defense team. Like that's not something that happens swiftly.
0: Yeah. So my understanding is that it is public or Phillips defense attorney came out on Facebook and made the statement that trafficking wasn't involved at all. But the evidence is also public knowledge that there was a solicitation of sex, that she was going to a place that was set up with these Johns who were going to purchase her. Is that correct?
2: I know that there's a lot of public and I know that there's some um privileged inf- privileged evidence that that obviously is not made public for and for good reason. I what I do know and what I think is really important to know is that national human trafficking experts have been brought in on this case. And whether we as a public can or cannot see privileged information on an open investigation, what we can trust is our experts. Mm-hmm. Sanctuary for Families, um Dorchen, they're experts in human trafficking. Um, Rebecca Charleston, court advocate in this case, she's an expert on human trafficking. And if you have a team with Zephy and the defense that are like, this is trafficking, Mm -hmm. then we can trust our experts that Mm -hmm. have reviewed the privileged evidence if us as the public hasn't. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like if the bell is being rung that this many experts are saying this is an issue of trafficking, then (laughs) Yeah, even, then, if we maybe, do, even if we don't, don't know everything.
1: Well, maybe you don't need to ask the question, why didn't she just leave?
0: Oh, my <laughs>
2: gosh. Right. Well, what I think is also really crucial in, in any case of trafficking, but this one may or may not have any exception to this, is is that trafficking operates really different based on the culture and community in which you live, right? right. So what we see in pimp-controlled urban Brooklyn may have very different tactics of control and tactics of selling and soliciting than Maybe someone in a gang trafficked area of Texas, mm-hmm. right? So gang gang trafficking is a very different ball game than pimp controlled trafficking or cantinas or illicit massage parlors. Mm-hmm. So you know how people how the Robert Kraft case in Florida, for mm-hmm. example, how they solicit their patrons mm-hmm. is a very different form of advertising and marketing than mm-hmm. a gang member in Fresno, for mm-hmm. example, right? And mm-hmm. so when you know as an expert how traffickers um, solicit, patronize, advertise, market, harbor, transport, mm. then you can identify like, oh, this is this type of trafficking. Now it's going to lead us to potentially review evidence at a different manner or at a different venue than we may mm. have looked if we if it was pimp controlled. So all of those things come into play, which is why yeah. experts are so important Yeah, in, in reviewing evidence.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think it just goes to prove of how much it's kind of like, I remember, I guess we started hearing, we started outreaches in 2004 and I think I heard of trafficking around 2007. By 2009, we had started outreaches in Dallas and our Dallas team was one of the first to go, um, this is human trafficking. Like our Dallas team really had different <laughs> eyes on it, but we've kind of been untangling this big, messy web. And it feels like right now, even, I mean, you've got incredible experts who look at this stuff all day long, who are like, this is what it is. But to the masses, we're still kind of not sure about what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. I think I want you to talk about, you had this great Instagram post where you're like, here's the three things we look at in Mm -hmm. a human trafficking case. We have to prove force. We have to prove fraud. We have to prove coercion when Mm -hmm. it comes to trafficking. Now, anytime there is a minor involved in commercial sex, it's a trafficking victim. You don't that, have to prove
2: force, fraud, you don't, or have, coercion, you don't right? have to prove it. And here's what I think people don't understand with some of these lines. And I get it because you're not, it, you know, the majority of people aren't in this every single day, like you said. Right. And so force, fraud, or coercion is definitely the three things that we would oftentimes look for, for a trafficked adult victim. But even taking a one more step bird's eye view is what's called act means purpose And so by law, and this is a lot of what the Trafficking Victims Protection Act and a variety of state human trafficking, legislative criminal charge codes that are built on and how you interpret the context of what happened. You do it through these three columns of act, means, purpose. And so it's the act of soliciting, transporting, harboring, patronizing, and a few others. You'd have to Google it. It kind of gets reauthorized every three years. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. those words change every three years. So- what does soliciting mean? Mm. You know, and, and and if I'm listening to some, a 16 year old girl tell her story of being taken from mm. one place to another, do I interpret that as transporting? Yeah, mm. absolutely so. Right. If I'm like, hey, then my boyfriend brought me here and he put me in this house where buyers came to, is that interpreted as harboring? Yes. To me, it would be. I think that's, a you know, I think that's, those are ways that defense attorneys as a whole looked mm. at. Look at how do we define transporting, harboring, soliciting, patronizing, advertising. Does that make sense? So looking for the act, the act of doing one of these things by the means of force, fraud or coercion, Okay. if they're 18, if they're not 18, you can actually cross that whole means thing off your list. It doesn't even matter. The mere fact that a child is engaged in any form of commercial sex, if you're transporting, harboring or obtaining for for commercial sex, um, doesn't matter if you used force, fraud or or coercion. If it's a child, it's a child. Like that's yeah. kind of, it's a given yeah. that some they don't have power
0: his. to right. make that. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> but the third part that's really important here is the commercial mm. element of sex. A lot of people would say in, in a variety of cases, well, he brought her to this place and they all had sex. Well, teenagers having sex isn't trafficking, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right. What makes something trafficking is the commercial element. Is there a third party monetarily profiting that's yeah. what makes it trafficking that's the kind of the kicker and when you can prove that commercial element has taken mm-hmm. place then you're finding you know more of human trafficking um, but that's that's sometimes the hard part that's why there's spotlight the 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 tool that Ashton Kutcher created through mm-hmm. his nonprofit thorn mm-hmm. it's a spotlight tool it's um, it's what law enforcement and badge holders use to run a phone number and, and mm. all these ads from all over the U.S. for years will pop mm. up because it archives ads. Mm. And when you're able to show an ad in a case that's proving that someone's trying to solicit the commercial element of set. Does that, that help? Yes,
0: I love. Did I just
2: I, make it more confusing?
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I think these things really are they're clear, but there's also some nuance. And so one of the things when you talk about commercial, a commercial act is some people don't understand. It doesn't have to just be cash in the hand No, that we're talking exchange of like money or goods. So I think that's one thing the general public doesn't understand. Like we, I I'm thinking of specifically of one of the women that we work with who was, um, recruited by her boyfriend in an ad room chat room somewhere on Facebook. And she came from the Midwest, uh, from Illinois to Waco, Texas. And as soon as she got here, um, he said, I love you. I want to marry you. It's going to be hard for a little while. Um, but if we're going to do this, you know, you're going to have to work. And so he drove her up to the strip club and he said, if you're going to live with me, um, you're going to have to work here. Mm -hmm. And so, People I mean, that's it's, yeah, shelter. It's,
2: it's also it's any commercial sex just doesn't mean the act of intercourse. It's exactly it's pornography. Right. It's private parties. It's it's escorting. Not, it's not even going. That's it's not even going that far. It can be, right. you know, a lot more um, before it gets to the form of intercourse. So it's any type of of sexual behavior and act. Yeah. But but I think you're right. It's it's not just the exchange of money. It's anything of what's actually legally considered monetary value is the mm. term. Mm-hmm. And so if I can put a monetary value on um, a phone, right, if I'm like yeah. hey, my phone is worth, I don't yeah. know, 200 bucks and I'm right. going to exchange my child for a new phone, then when the evidence is entered into in, when the when the information is entered into evidence, the monetary value amount would then have been two hundred dollars based on the value of the phone. Does it, you know, so yep. you're those when you're trying to thoroughly investigate a human trafficking case. That's why things take time, and yeah. they're all very different. You know, in gang trafficking, I'm working a case in California as a subject matter expert right now, and I, that's why I won't say the city. But but gang trafficking is a whole very mm-hmm. different ball game. I mean, you're talking about gang members tend to move their victims like they would drugs, Mm. right? Whereas sometimes like online escorting, it's really obvious what the amount is because there's an ad that says Mm. spend 30 minutes with me for X number of dollars. And so it's obvious there's an ad, but there's not like heroin.com or drug dealers are telling (laughs) you how much their bags are. right? Right. And so, so gang members, because that's what they've always done is drugs and guns they They then push their victims in a similar manner where you have to know someone that knows someone. like mm-hmm. if you wanted to go buy crack cocaine right now, you're not going on a website. You right. have to know somebody. you have to call someone that could yep. tell you about someone. and so gang members operate very similarly, so the evidence of that monetary amount yeah. isn't always on a website that's easy to grab from a spotlight. yeah, ad archive. You have to. Know someone that knew someone to get someone to tell you that they called. Can I see your phone? That's a whole nother level of investigation.
0: And there's language. There's like code language. So even if a lay person picks up a gang member's phone, who's, it's it wouldn't say, I have a 16-year-old girl that will be purchased for this amount of dollars. Exactly. I mean, it's code. Totally. So investigators know that and you know experts know that, but the general public is quite unaware. And it's why this can just happen right under our noses. And we don't necessarily spot what's going on.
2: And what I think is important, another caveat to trafficking cases in general is that traffickers are getting smarter every time, you know, cases make the news or they talk to one another while they're incarcerated. We've had cases where we've known traffickers to say to one another on jail calls, wave your, uh, waive your right to due process and speed getting to trial, that girl will never be ready. So traffickers are like waiving their right to due process and like, no, put me on trial tomorrow because I know you won't find her. Your evidence will be long gone in the wind. And so they're getting smarter. And and so I, it, in Zephaniah Trevino's case, what I think is crucial is that unfortunately this this girl entered the system as a criminal, not a victim. So she didn't have the normal dominoes triggered that would normally be triggered for a victim of trafficking to receive an advocate and an investigation right away. She didn't get that because of the way she entered. Then for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, it took more time than was necessary. And that was a really unfortunate failure on the system for her. Yeah. And then, and then time is here, right? Like trials coming, the certification hearing to have her as an adult is February 5th. Yeah. Yeah. D.A. Cruso could absolutely withdraw his motion to to certify her as an adult. We want to encourage people to call his office, email his office, withdraw your charges against this trafficked victim, because in the meantime, he will be he will be given the evidence um, hmm. because human trafficking and national investigators, uh, you know, have been and are reviewing it. And yeah. and when it comes that this trafficked victim, that's going to be a real hardship. Um, right. This is a child's life that she was. Lured and and trafficked by by grown-ups This is mm-hmm. not acceptable. We don't punish kids for the crime of their traffickers. Right. It's just unheard of. Yeah. And we expect more from D. A. Cruzot because we know that he's been a part of fighting trafficking.
0: Yeah, and, and I his am hopeful.
2: Huge... Yeah,
0: me too. I I'm hopeful because Sound you know, the alarm because we need know... him
2: to know that we're watching. We're behind this. Yeah, she's a victim, and we want him to do the right thing.
0: Yeah, and and he is called to do the right thing because his platform is social justice reform is that is that's what he's ran on mm-hmm. so his constituents right the this is an elected office yeah your da this is an elected office so what you do with your time matters yep because yep. you you are held accountable to that the next election cycle and so we want because Texans are becoming aware of the huge trafficking issue right in our backyard. We're becoming really aware of this. Faith communities are becoming very engaged in this battle. And so we're watching. We're watching what our elected officials do with this. We're watching how they care for women and children. We know that Texas is behind on laws that protect women and children. We know that. I know that. I didn't know that until I started working in this area. But we we've got a ways to go. And on you know, some there's two,
2: there's two other girls that are facing murder charges right now upstate, mm. not outside of Dallas, and mm. no one knows about their cases, and their no. families are emailing, like, w- "Can you help us? What about right? us? Yeah. yeah." And so, this the Ze- Zephaniah's case is one of many that might yeah. not make the news, and it's going to be really important for us, like you're saying, to 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 know what's happening, to let these elected officials know. You know, we want laws changed. We want yeah. our kids protected.
0: Yes. Well, you know,
1: I think it. I- I think it exposes, if we pull back more, it it exposes the systemic issues that are at play here. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, you know, Syntoia Brown's case was so um, pivotal, like even in my watching of it, it, it's like, okay, now now we're looking at privilege issues as well. Like, you know, she's handed these, you know, court appointed attorneys that that can only do so much. They did the best they could with the resources that they had, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't enough. And, and then, by the grace of God, I believe, these high-powered rock star attorneys are moved by her case, and they step in, but they did it on their own volition. So there's a measure of privilege. Even though she didn't have the money to do it, it's like God moved in, these big guys come in, but why did it take the rock star attorneys to put the facts out there to say this is a child? She's 16 years old. Yeah. And when you look at her family history, she was set yeah. up from the beginning. Right. It was a setup from the beginning that she didn't even have a choice of. Mm. But well, and yeah, what, we're going to send her to jail for the rest of her life.
2: And I think you bring up such a great point because generally to have a really strong criminal defense team, these aren't cheap. These do not come generally very easy and to bring on experts usually is at the family's expense. Mm-hmm. We we stepped in as a nonprofit in a case back in Oregon years ago where a victim was being charged for kidnapping and co-conspirator to human trafficking. She was facing 90 years, three counties wanted wow. 30 years. And the poor girl when I went in and met her in jail, she was I knew right away she needed a mental health review. Like something's not normal and if this man is targeting people with mental illness, um, to babysit other girls, kids. And then she gets charged with kidnapping. That's BS. And so I said, can we do a forensic psyche eval?" And the, her lawyer said, do you have five grand? Because her family can't afford that. And I just thought in that moment, like this, like you're saying the privilege of people that don't have the funding. Imagine if this was your baby at 16 years old. The boy she thought was her boyfriend just got him into some bull crap. Yeah. Do you have the money to go get all of these experts? I mean, you'd be putting your house up for a second. I know I would. I yeah. would fight for my baby if this right. was her. And thankfully, we had donors step in and we were able to pay for a forensic psyche valve out of the nonprofit. But it just happened to be that it landed in my hometown what, right. what happens if there's a, a case then there's not a trafficking expert or a survivor or groups like your guys' this is happening all over. And yeah. and we need to be really thoughtful about these systemic issues. Mm-hmm. How are we supporting low-income families? How are we supporting yes. kids coming out of the child welfare system? Yeah. How are we supporting juvenile, you know, justice reform initiatives and passing laws that would allow duress defenses? All of this has helped. This case is bringing a lot of this to the surface. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not. Um, I know it's going to help. But I don't want it to be the, at the expense of the 16 year old girl's life. No, I think it's a real shame.
0: What we had a question on Instagram Live, what does it look like for the DA to do the right thing in this case? Well, he has the power right to dismiss these charges.
2: He can withdraw charges against her. That's what we're really pushing. Please withdraw charges against Zephaniah Trevino. Second best withdraw your motion to try her as an adult. Yeah, Those two things that he absolutely could do and and we're imploring him to do.
0: Yeah. And then um, what you just mentioned here is a lack of services, a a lack of, this is a breach in the system where, you know, the services that are supposed to be rendered by the state didn't happen for this victim. We didn't see it and we didn't meet the need. Um, And so, We have the opportunity to offer rehabilitation to Zephy to get her the care and the community of care that she needs to be in right now as a young adult um, because she's uh, 18 now. Is that right?
2: I think she's about to be about to be 18 next month. Yeah. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that she does have a really great care team now. And those services came late to the game, unfortunately that they should have came sooner. And mm-hmm. the hard part as a nonprofit, you guys know, I know people that run nonprofits know, um, we're all trying our best with the budgets <sighs> we have and the <laughs> staffing that we have and with our COVID restrictions. And so there's of course, huge systemic issues that fell short for her. And and I also wanna be really thoughtful to know that like, you know, groups that we work with every day were the ones contracted and they're good yeah. and, and they do great work. and. Yeah. Sometimes these happens, our our case files are well overstacked. Our teams are tired. Holidays take place. COVID happens. They're not allowed to get in. It's just like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And it it sucks because it doesn't. I know that we have really great nonprofits that are really doing their best with the budgets and the teams they have. Um, And we have centers that are trying. Mm -hmm. Also, if outcries happen in a juvenile justice setting and someone does not relay those yeah how is a nonprofit supposed to respond if no one ever tells them so yeah. whose fault is that like where did the ball get dropped is it in the juvenile justice policies yeah. procedures do we need yeah. to meet you know there's so many things and it's like without getting in and combing through every single thing yeah. which i haven't done so it's, you know i don't want anyone to feel like i'm throwing anyone under the bus here but right It's It's, like people just from the outside don't realize how many steps happen and and that sometimes things fall short.
0: I think of, you know, what this exposed for me, at least um, in a different uh, sphere of social justice, is looking at um, the looking at prison reform from the work of Brian Stevenson and equal justice initiative. Mm-hmm. When I started learning about how much was put on his little tiny nonprofit, like little bitty here. I mean, I'm like, he is working death row cases round the clock up all night staff. We you know, just vandalism at his home and his staff getting, you know, just, I just I think what people don't understand is that nonprofits that are in the trenches are overworked, yeah, just like you said, and the funding isn't always just immediate and there and readily available, and neither is like the training or the quality of sometimes of, of who wants to work, right? Because we're like, we don't have benefits. Can you get, <laughs> hello? <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't have the resources that corporate American jobs might be able to get the best, quote, skilled person in that seat, that's unfortunate because you're talking about people's lives. Um,
2: Yeah. And grants always go to like very specific things. So sometimes people are like, well, can't they write a grant for that? Well, A, there's a lot of people vying for that grant. And B, it only goes to a specific thing. And so people don't realize like as a nonprofit, when I file my 990 tax return every year, which is required Mm -hmm. of me to keep my nonprofit Mm -hmm. open, that's a huge Expense. I mean, the cheapest one that we could find is $3,000 a year mm-hmm. just to file a tax return. And so
1: let's talk when this is over.
2: <laughs> I mean, there's no grants that are like, hey, can we file? You know what I mean? Like right. operational overhead is something very right. few grants cover. And that's why no
0: for sure. Local
2: donations matter. Your they local do. support being a $50 a month donor to your local nonprofit matters drastically for that company. Like, Be a part of your community. Give, if you can give 30 bucks, 50 bucks a month, do it, man. Cause like it really does go far.
0: Yes. And like
1: you said a little bit ago, I mean, when you guys stepped in to help, you know, pay for that mental health evaluation in order to help that victim that her family couldn't afford, like to be able to do that, to be able to have the resources to do that so that you can step in and truly assist you know, women and men for that matter, who don't have the resources for these right. issues. I mean, it does. And, and and again, you know, we can, we can address the, the systemic issues, but we, this is America, the system moves damn slow. Really if slow. It, if it moves at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And well, so.
1: And
0: pushing yeah, boulders. I was just
2: going to say, talk about criminal justice reforming. I mean, that's one of the other reformative measures. It's like how slow systems move. That's right. how, how we, We incentivize um, crime. We don't incentivize justice. And so Mm. I can't tell you how many times I come into a place and it's a whole new HT detective who's never had an HT 101 training. And I'm like, you know, Bob, Jill, what happened to what happened to Mike? And they're like, oh, Mike, Mike just never got a promotion because trafficking cases take a year to prosecute and drug cases take 30 days. So that unit that's getting all the raises and promotions looks real good. Can I transfer over there? And so when we're incentivizing as a system arrests and convictions get you promotions, well, trafficking cases are going to take longer than anyone else because your evidence is a human. You have to build trust. You have to get them to open up. You have to walk with them. It's not you can't find it in the locker room when it's time right. for for the trial. And so, you know, trafficking detectives they'll work not as many cases as drug detectives, and then they don't get as quickly as a promotion. And so you see turnover really frequent because mm. of the incentivizing arrest and convictions. Mm. So, it because, so then you're you're coming through. You're going through people. You know, people like water, for lack of better words. You're like, wow, that community lost that detective again it's just this constant cycle. That's, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's gotta be a better way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There does have to be a better way. And I think that one, one of the things that our organization has had to face, um, dead on is, is just the lack of care and the major gaps for women of color and their children. And, in the South, especially, um, the stigma is real. The marginalization is real. The communities that are the most affected and have been most affected by COVID are real. And that work of how do we employ, how do we reach out? How do we care for, how do we meet the needs of our, communities that are the most vulnerable to these issues, that becomes the work. I mean, when you're talking about prevention of this, uh, it, it is a whole community of care. It's not just anti-trafficking agencies.
2: Mm-hmm. Like this Absolutely. isn't
0: just the trafficking issue. This is hunger. This is uh, housing. This is jobs. Um, this is mental health, addiction. It, it's its all of it. And yeah. it, it just feels so hard sometimes and like so long (laughs) it's the road I mean and so we've got to make sure too that our leaders and those who are on the front lines and those engaged in this work are are staying as sane as possible because it is long it's it's long work
2: well in statistics you know When we know statistically that women of color get um, incarcerated quicker than white women, and when it pertains to prostitution-related charges, women of color lose their children at higher rates are taken from them through child welfare than the white women that are engaged in prostitution. Like when we are seeing that that it's not the same outcome, and that there it creates further barriers to reentry. Now I've got to do all these. Now I have the criminal record and she doesn't. You know, could be two girls picked up on the same night on the same time and. And so the barrier to reentry becomes harder that that hill becomes steeper for for women of color, for people of color that are that are engaged in in human trafficking, mm-hmm. not engaged willingly, of course, but, you sure. know, that are involved. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we have to be able to look at some of those barriers to reentry and ways that we're supporting our community and. Yeah. And the nonprofits, like you said, that are serving because burnout's real. Vicarious trauma is real. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all, we're, we're all the world's problems and what, yeah, yeah, it's a very complex system. It's
0: it's compounding. And it's, what is the one thing that you think we know we've said we are uh, calling on D the DA to, um, drop these charges to at minimum, not try her as an adult. Um, I really want to implore the faith communities here who say with our mouths and are mandated by scripture to care for children, that this is one of the most foundational aspects of faith communities is that we care for the poor and we care for the weak and we protect children. And so in this case, and, and on that mandate, I would say that is at minimum, how we can rally our faith communities to say, no, we do not believe that children should be held accountable for the crimes of a trafficker, mm-hmm. that children should be held accountable for the crimes that they did not even commit. So there is a law of parties. So this is one of the things that's important that Michelle told me about in Texas, we have what's called the law of parties. And I think Tennessee had it too, which is part of what, um, Centoya Brown's case involved. So the law of parties states that if you are, if you are there where a crime is committed, that you too can be held accountable for that crime. Yes. So that law is, in a sense, that has affected our population. I have women who were prostituting, who were in the back of a car when this guy stole whatever or was arrested for drugs. She gets charged with a drug theft and with drug trafficking, whatever it is. And now she can't uh, get a job because she was there. Yeah, Texas
2: has some interesting laws about if you're in the room when a crime is being committed, you'll be charged equally as much as the person doing. If you're in just the... In the room. And so so
0: that is, I think, coming part of what legally um, is a question of if she is tried as an adult, that law will bind her.
2: Yeah, I mean, she is facing capital murder. That is a 40-year-to-life sentence before she'll even be eligible for parole. Capital
0: murder. And this is why we can't have her tried as an adult. No. Because she does not need... Because then that law binds the DA toward this law, because we haven't Correct. reformed that law in Texas. Correct. Correct.
1: <laughs> so, Which, so but, in, and in some case that law might have made sense. Like when, when, when the men, the white guys, came up with that law, that might have made sense. <laughs> did that come out? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs>
0: well, I then, then, then let's of, uh, arrest all the people who were there watching lynchings, right? Okay. Hello. Then let's Hello. do that. If if we're gonna have a law of parties here. Let's, yeah. let's go ahead and, and go there anyway. <coughs> no. Moving on.
1: Yeah. I mean, you might So you might be thinking, what can I do? How, what do I do here? Like, Brett, Emily, Rebecca, y'all are in the space. You're doing it. But how do I, the cab driver, or I'm sorry, the Uber driver, the doctor, what can I do? So here's what you can do. Number one, you can stop asking the dumb question, why didn't she leave? Why did she just not do that? Terrible question. Don't ever ask it again. When we talk about these people, um, another thing <laughs> you can do. Emily wrote a beautiful letter to this Dallas County DA. And Rebecca gonna did too. It. We're going to post it in the show. Heck, we'll post Rebecca's too. You can pick or yeah. send them no, both.
2: I just regurgitated. I just reshared other people's letters. I'm 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 not rewriting. Everyone's written great letters. I'm happy to share other people's too.
1: So we'll we'll put that letter in the show notes. You can copy it and send that. And let's let's blow some inboxes yes. up, make some phone calls. We'll put all the information there. Another thing you can do is educate yourself. Like go to Netflix, watch Murder to—is it called Murder to Mercy? To
0: Mercy, uh huh.
1: Murder to Mercy, Santoya yeah, Brown story. Her case. It is powerful and heart wrenching. And my ten-year-old son watched it with us, and he was just—I mean, it even held his attention, and he kept going, "Why? Why?" Why did she answer that question that way? And we would pause and say, well, let's think about it, that, you know, particularly the mental health part when they showed the pictures, right? And mm-hmm. it's like a man mm-hmm. and a woman standing there kissing and a little girl watching. And the mm-hmm. psychologist says, what do you see? And Santoya saw a man um, making a woman kiss her, him. Mm. Like she was being held against her will. Whereas Gus, my son, said, I just saw a mom and a dad kissing. Mm. Of course, they have two different life experiences, life lenses. And so we've got to educate ourselves on these issues. And so at bare minimum, take an hour and 10 minutes of your life and go educate yourself on these issues and watch that documentary and see what breaks off in you so that you're motivated to do something. Because if we don't do anything, then our kids are just going to continue to get prosecuted like adults Mm -hmm. and nothing's going to change.
2: Yeah, I agree. And there's lots of survivors books. I wrote a book this, this, it came out January of last year in pursuit of love. If you do have those questions, why doesn't she run? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're not wanting to ask them because Brett's going to spank your hand. (laughs) You can read my book. (laughs) Hashtag Enneagram eight. And we can, um, I'm a three, (laughs) so I'm, I'm promoting the book. Um, so, (laughs) so, but really, I think we tried really hard to answer some of those questions in the book without overtly answering them right but sharing really the psychology behind Mm -hmm. trauma and what an everyday would look like and why it becomes really so confusing when you're in the moment and i always encourage people you're asking from a healthy adult brain you have to remember in the moment it's not a healthy adult brain that's that's responding so yeah and then i would i I love all of these please Mm -hmm. get involved please reshare the letter just copy and paste and make it so easy for you Mm -hmm. we want to sound the alarm and And after february fifth, if if she's been certified as an adult, um, that's what we're hoping not to happen. So February fifth is the deadline. I want to implore faith communities to pray. We need to start praying. We need to sound the alarm. You need to bombard the throne, bombard the email and the throne. You got to do both. Let me tell you something.
0: I think I told you this, Rebecca, too, when I asked you to come on here is I was like, you know, the truth of the matter is faith communities are still super important, not just in the country, but particularly in Texas. Faith community leaders, pastors are really important. Our elected officials like it or not. They listen to community pastors because community pastors gather people and community pastors are in the community and they see the needs of the people and the church is meeting the needs of the people are supposed to be. And so if you are part of a faith community, get your pastor to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Get your missions pastor, get your lead pastor, get the first lady of your church on board because your DA is going to listen to to the pastors. And that's why it is important for faith communities. We're not unaware of the game that often gets played. And listen, I'm a faith-based organization. I'm coming at you saying, I know I have a voice with my DA. I know I have a voice with my elected officials. I know that I do because we run a faith-based organization. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna use that voice because God's put me here to use my voice to bring her voice to center. And use that always for
1: things like this, not Absolute, political agendas, use your pulpit well, for this.
0: Yeah. And you know, I used to think, and I had this realization this morning, it is a privileged place to say, I don't care about politics. I don't care about what happens in politics. I really can't stand poly. I used to say that, you know what? A white person says that.
2: Mm.
0: U- usually white people are saying they don't, they don't really care about politics because it's worked in their favor to not care. It's mm, good. But when I meet with my, my women that I meet with, not, they're not my women, the women in our community care about what's happening. They have to care because they've been hurt by systems yeah. that are voted on. Every, every law affects them. They're the yeah. ones living in the situations that are created. So so I don't care if you think it's political or not, this is your chance to evoke change and this is one way that we do it. Policy is important and it's why it's it's why we're here to to I mean, help affect change.
2: And it's so cool because you think, I mean, I also have had moments where I'm like, man, I just don't like politics. At the reality is is I don't like the polarization that politics has created. Yeah. And so what I've found is like, if I actually learn though about <clears throat> excuse me, policies that exist in my neighborhood and how that's actually impacting people boots on the ground. Yes. Then I actually care. Yes. And so it's like talking about it at such a macro level can feel overwhelming and polarizing. But if you just get to know what is the duress law in my county? Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know what my state's duress law or party law is, you know, and, and how would that affect my child? How would assault affect my child? Yeah. What are we doing? How is it gonna affect my son if he goes off to college and he don't got a And I haven't raised him to have great character mass around hypersexualization and pornography. Yeah, you're going to care. And so I think (laughs) like getting to know what some of those actually specifics are for your neighborhood. I think we might have a diff, you know, like I think it'll move people from feeling like, gosh, I just don't really understand politics as this big overarching (laughs) term. and what that actually looks like in my state as a Texas resident mm. with no duress defense, what does that mean for me and my work? What does it mean for me and my life? What does it mean for my sister who struggled with domestic violence? And my niece and nephew who have watched that. What's mm. that gonna mean for them? Mm. Like those are questions that I think actually get to the heart of your family, mm-hmm. not you specifically. I'm talking to like any listener. Yeah. Then you then you'll care. Then you'll really yes. start to think through how that how you can vote different. And how maybe you can ask your DA and your elected officials where their stance and their positions are on those things. Absolutely. That's, you know what I mean? Like grassroots. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Politics. And proximity matters. And so I think, of course, we are so proximate to this issue. We're proximate to the lives of survivors. Um, we're seeing and feeling and, and experiencing um, this secondhand from from the lives and how their lives have been impacted by these laws and by these injustices. Right. Um So, yeah, Rebecca, I cannot thank you enough for your heart, soul, passion, your life, your skills, um, what you're bringing now to Texas. Thank you. So so much. this is so exciting. And thanks for jumping on when. when we weren't sure how this was all going to sync up. It's you, all good. you've been amazing. And, um, I hope if you're listening to this, that you've learned a lot. Um, I hope that you will check out Rebecca's organization, Rebecca Bender Institute. What, what, what is your initiative? Website?
2: It's just Rebecca Re- org. Um, yep. you'll learn everything there.
0: hmm So visit her website, um, see, visit her, follow her on all the things, um, her book in pursuit of love is an incredible resource and one of the most respected, um, in communities who are doing this work. So get your copy and, um, yeah, keep, keep up, keep up the good work, Rebecca. You're just, you're doing such good stuff.
1: And we expect to be able to host you in Waco soon.
0: I'm. Once we get this pandemic happening, like, settled down a little bit. It's I'll, come mask, I'll come mask on. Oh, I'll mask just wait up. for some mask sunshine. It
2: is I the know. greatest thing in <laughs> It's Texas. raining. It's, in like, or, it's like I brought the rain with me <laughs> to you Texas. Did. So. You did. Yeah, you, I want to come. I hear your barbecue is great. Or... Oh, yeah. I just had
1: it today before we came on the air.
2: <laughs> okay. There come on. There you go.
1: It really
0: happens. Texas yeah, I'm, a,
2: I'm on a cleanse, so let's, oh. let's wait for sunshine have... and no okay. diet.
0: Okay, we got some juice bars, too, if you need some juice. Now, I want margaritas. Oh, we can make a good margarita. We've got you covered. That's what I want. We know a guy. (laughs) Perfect.
1: Rebecca, you're the best. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. Bye. Bye. We'll see you later. Okay.
1: Thanks for joining us. We hope this episode brought some light to your own story and hope for your journey.
0: Make sure to subscribe and leave a comment. For more info on our work, visit JesusSaidLove.com.
1: Until next time,
0: share the love.